0: Hey, my name is Jackson, as uh, Pastor Frank mentioned. I'm the teaching pastor here, and that just means every now and then he gives me the opportunity to get up here and be able to share a little bit about what God's laid on my heart. Uh, Pastor Frank and I, we work closely together with sermon planning and things like that. So uh, I'm really excited about the Comeback Series. When Pastor Frank and I started talking about this series um, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now, I don't know, the days all run together now. um, But Whenever we started talking about it, I was really excited because I'm a huge I'm a huge sports guy, right? I love um, pretty much all kinds of sports, and when I think comeback, that that's where my mind automatically goes is um, like a sports comeback, right? Um, now, obviously, there are more different types of comebacks uh, in, in life and things like that, but when I think comeback, that's where my mind immediately goes because that's kind of how my brain works is a comeback. And I think sports analogies are great. Um, Sports comebacks are great. If you think about comebacks, you can, pretty much everybody in the room, no matter what sport it is, um, can think of a comeback that they witnessed in person, whether it was a long time ago, whether you were there in person, whether it was one of those that you watch on TV, uh, or or whatever that looks like. We can all pretty much point to one, probably sporting event or something like that, where you witnessed just this awesome underdog comeback story, right? uh and uh Pastor Frank showed the video last week of the horse of the horse of Seabiscuit. Um and then you know I don't want to relive some some negative some negative uh memories here, but you know, a couple years ago, the Falcons in the Super Bowl, right, and the Patriots the comeback, unfortunately. Um but we can all think back to those times where we can think of these massive comebacks. And sports analogies are great, like I mentioned. Um However, there are times when they're not exactly, you you can't really compare them to real life, right? Because sports are one thing, and real life, like what you and I do on a daily basis, is a totally different thing. Uh, And and here's what I mean by that. For example, um, when we think of a comeback in sports, there comes a point where it's probably too late for a comeback, right? Um, Like, for example, in in football, if you're down, you know, three touchdowns, you know, at the two-minute warning with two minutes left in the game, Yeah, it's probably too late for a comeback. Right. Or, you know, in Georgia Tech's case, if you're down 48 points at halftime to Clemson, um, it's probably too late for a comeback. Unfortunately, Um, I turned that game off and went to bed at halftime. Um, But also in baseball. Right. If you're down 10 runs in the ninth inning, it's probably too late for a comeback. Now, there are all stories where, you know, fluke things and miracle things like that happen. But more often than not, those types of things you you say, all right, yeah, it's too late, right? Um, There comes a point where it's it's over. In life, though, and in real life, and you and I, for us as human beings in life, um, you're never too late for a comeback. You're never too far gone. You're never too far down for a comeback. There is always something new that can be done in your life. There's always some sort of new beginning in your life. There's always something new how you can restart. No matter what's happened before, no matter how old you are, whether you know, you're know you 15 and have already screwed up or whether you're 75 and have already screwed up or whatever, that you're, you're never too late for a comeback. You're never too late to start over. You're never too late to make it to where something else is going on where you you want to be different. Um, If you're on this planet and you're breathing, there is hope. Hope for a comeback. Hope for a new start. Hope for a better life. And what I love about this comeback series is there is all sorts of proof of that all throughout the Bible. There are like like in the double digits of characters and stories all throughout the Bible of stories of people who have overcome like super ridiculous obstacles to go from one place to another and pull a 180 and turn their life completely around. And it's the same for younger people throughout the Bible, teenagers and things like that, and also for people who are really old in the Bible as well. They totally started a whole new life. Um, and they almost had like a whole full second life, even though they started late. So the one thing that I wanna throw out there to you today, and the one thing that I wanna show to you today is that you're never too late for a comeback. Whether, again, no matter how old you are, or what you've done, there's always hope. And I wanna point to one character in the Bible that I feel like going through this comeback series, and as Frank and I were talking about the the characters that we were gonna use and the stories and things like that, um, the biggest one that sticks out to me Um, is Paul. Now, when we think of Paul, we think of him as being um, a lot of the author of the New Testament, right? Uh, Being this this great evangelist, writing letters to churches about, hey, this is how the church should act. This is what Christians should be. This is how Christians should interact with each other. And and we have these awesome stories of, of Paul and the great things that he did for God. But what a lot of people forget or what a lot of people don't know and what a lot of people don't realize is what Paul was like before all that. Um, he was actually called uh, Saul. Uh, he was a man named Saul before that. And when he went through his radical transformation, which we'll talk about today, as he was in the process of, of new beginnings of, of, come, of his comeback, God changed his name because he said, you know what, you're no longer that person anymore. And he gave him a whole new outlook on life. And I would argue that Paul's transformation and Paul's comeback was one of the biggest all throughout the Bible um, because he went from one extreme to the other. So what we're going to really focus on today and what we're really going to dive in today is how Paul became the great evangelist that he became, even despite all of the junk and all of the stuff that he did before he knew God. And hopefully that will encourage some people in here today to say, you know what, I'm going to look differently at my life. I'm going to look differently at the way things happen in life. Um, and I'm going to realize that, hey, it's not too late for me. So as we, as we kind of begin and dive in here, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians 1, 13. Uh, it'll be 13 through 24, but we'll start in verse 13. Uh, and that'll be on the screens as well. Um, but we're going to start in Galatians 1. And basically, we're just going to go through sort of the transformation of, from Saul to Paul. Um, now, when Saul was sort of early on, um, he basically terrorized Christians. That was his job. Um, that, that's what he did. Um, he would kill and murder Christians. That's, that's pretty intense, right? Um, thinking about the Paul that we know from the New Testament, um, he, he was a he murdered Christians. That, That's That was what he did. If we look in verse 13, he said, For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And we'll stop there. What he's telling is a pretty chilling story, right? He's saying, man, I was happy in what I was doing. I was zealous in the traditions. I was killing people for Judaism because it was what was right. And I wanted to do it. I was passionate about it. He felt no remorse for what he was doing. He was happy to advance in his career. He even said, I was advancing beyond many of people my own age. I was killing Christians so good that I was like advancing past people my own age. That's how good I was at my job. That's how good I was at what I was doing. And he was happy about it, right? That's a pretty dark story coming from somebody who is known to be the great evangelist that he is. Um, Paul was never interested in becoming a Christian, He was interested in killing Christians, but he was never interested in becoming a Christian. He wanted nothing to do with it. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he enjoyed it. You could say that Paul, or I guess Saul at this point, was probably the furthest away from God that you could possibly be. Not only did he not want him, um, he was taking it to the next level that not only did he not want God, he was busy killing people because he didn't like God right? Um, so we could say that he was as far away from God as you could possibly be. Now, I can't help but think, back to, to kind of bring it back to us, I can't help but think there's probably people listening right now who think they're as far away from God as you could possibly be. You know, whether that's because of what you've done 15 years ago, 30 years ago, um, whether it's the way that you lived your life before you walked through this door today or the, what you're currently in, you might think you are the farthest away from God that you can possibly be. And, you know, listen, I don't know, you know, what, what you do is between you and God. I, I don't. I can't even pretend to know what you're going through or what you do or things like that. that that's, that's not my place to know. Um, but what I do know is that it's not too late for you. And what I do know is that you're not murdering hundreds of Christians in your front yard like Saul was doing, right? Now, don't get me wrong. What, what you're doing, um, it, 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 may be, it may be dark. It may be tough, and I, and I get that. But I want you to know that if God can use somebody like that who is killing people, who is killing Christians, it's not too late for you. You may be sitting here, and you may be thinking that you're broken, that you're too damaged, that you're damaged goods, right? How can God possibly use me? How can God possibly use somebody who's gone through that? How could God possibly use somebody who has been bankrupt, who has gone through a divorce, who has, you know, um, been in, in prison for whatever reason, right? You may be thinking that God can't use somebody like me, but I would argue that you're wrong. God can and God will. And what I want to continue to do as we go through this, and you'll see, and it's beautiful, it's this awesome story of redemption, of this comeback of of, of a guy named Saul, is that it's never too late for you. And it's never going to be too late. Um, Another account of Paul's... um, Paul's conversion in Acts, um, he, he's actually, his story is mentioned in the New Testament three times, um, once in Galatians, once in Acts, and then once um, he, uh, in, in another one of the Gospels, but he was told about it, and um, Paul it actually said that he would go, and I'm sorry, Saul at this point, he would actually go door to door he was like this reverse evangelism basically he would go to door to door in these neighborhoods he would knock on people's doors and he would say he would be like hey i'm sorry do you know you're our lord and savior jesus christ you know trying to be like an evangelist right and then when they would say yes he'd be like great then he'd drag him out in their front yard and he would kill him he wasn't trying to save them he wasn't going around trying to you know share the gospel with them he was asking them if they knew god and if they said yes he would kill them he would murder them right there in their house for everybody to see. And then he would move on to the next door and knock, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Yes, great. And then he would kill him. That was what he was doing. He was traveling around from city to city, from village to village, killing Christians in that way. In fact, when um, God first met Um, Saul, like on the road to Damascus, um, and, and converted him, and we went through this huge transformation story, which we'll talk about in a second. He was actually on his way to a city, to another city, to go around door to door and kill Christians. And while he was on his way, God stopped him. But he was in the middle of his sin at that point when he met God. He was in the middle of his darkness when God came to him. So what I want you to understand today is that if you're in the middle of this darkness right now, even while you're sitting here, even while you're listening, God will meet you where you are. That's why you're here. You don't come to church because you're perfect. That doesn't make sense. You come to church because you know that you're broken. You come to church because you know that you need help. And you come to church because you know God will meet you where you are. So even if you walk through those doors today thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm way down here today, man. I, I just, I can't. There's no way God will even talk to me. You're wrong. He will. He will find you wherever you are, and he'll pick you up. Let's go to, um, to, to the next set of verses here, which is going to be in verse 15. Let's talk about his conversion. Let's talk about how this happened, how this went down. So he just talked about his life before, so now we're going to talk about how he started that process, what happened when God came and met him. In verse 15 it says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. And then later, I returned to Damascus. Let's go back to verse 15, if we could put put that back on the screen for me, please. I want to focus on this first word. First word in verse 15, but. That's a big word in in this passage, because what it shows is it shows that God interrupted Paul's life, or Saul's life at this point but it shows that interruption, right? He said, this is happening and and you're killing these Christians and I was doing this, 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 and this is how awful I was, but, but wait, but God, but God. God came into his life, interrupted everything that happened and everything was changed because of this one little word, two little words, I guess, but God. Paul was a sinner, but God happened. Paul was killing Christians, but God happened, right? Paul was in the middle of his darkness, But God happened. And what I want you to see is that no matter what happens, there will always be that moment when God is saying, but wait, 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 Jackson, I'm here. No matter what you're going through, it can be interrupted and God can step in. And that's what he does. God steps in and interrupts you exactly where you are. That's what we just talked about. Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians. And then God stopped him right in his tracks. Um, in Acts, it actually talks about what happened. Essentially, a massive blinding light came down. And Saul became blind. And the, God's voice was talking to him coming from the heavens. And he just had no, nothing else he could do but stop and listen. God forced him to stop and listen. Now, Saul wasn't expecting that, of course not. He hated God. He was on his way to kill Christians. He hated Christians. The last thing he expected was God to stop him and speak to him, because he was like, why would God want to stop and talk to me? I hate him, right? But without, without his permission, God just barged in, kicked down the door, didn't ring the doorbell, and just interrupted everything that was happening in Saul's life and turned it upside down. See, God doesn't need permission to come into your life and mess you up, right, and change everything that you think you know about what your life's all about. He didn't ask for permission. Paul didn't give him, Saul didn't give him permission. He just came in, barged in, and without permission, God took control of the situation and said, you know what? It's time for your comeback. You know what, Saul? It's time for you to quit your old life that you were doing and do great and mighty things for me. And I'm going to use what you've done to fuel your comeback from one spot to the other. He didn't wait for Saul's permission. He didn't wait for Saul to say, oh, God, you know, um, I, I'm done killing Christians. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Now, now I'm ready for you to come, right? Now, now I'm ready for you. God pursued after him. And God said, now is the time. God said, now is the time. Your comeback starts right here, Right? Hey, it's the fourth quarter. We're down by a touchdown. Now is your time for your comeback. Now is your time to be the hero. Now is your time to take, forget the rest of the game. Forget those first three quarters. That doesn't matter. Now your comeback starts right here. God sometimes doesn't wait for your permission. God will just tell you, it starts here. Just ask Paul. He wasn't expecting that. Or better yet, ask, uh, you remember the story of Lazarus, right? Who God raised from the dead? Do you think Lazarus was just sitting in his tomb saying, man, I wish somebody would come raise me from the dead. God, I give you permission, raise me up. No, God just did it. Jesus said, hey, Lazarus, let's go, dude. Come on, it's time. He didn't ask for permission. He did it. He took control of the situation and whatever happened, happened. God will do the same thing in your life. He will come in, barge in, kick in the door and say, hey, man, it's time to go. That's what's amazing about God's grace. That's what's amazing about God's power. And that's what's so awesome about God is that he can do whatever he wants and he'll come in and radically change your life and turn it upside down, just like he did for Paul. Just like he did for Saul, who he then said, hey, now you're Paul because I got in the way, right? We're just gonna drop that S and we're gonna add a P on there and you're gonna be a totally different person, right? That's exactly what happened. It's awesome. It's amazing the way that God works. And here's what I like about it too. In that, in that, Right after when it says, but God, it says, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me. God had his eye on Paul from birth. Check that out. In his mother's womb, God had his eye on Saul and knew everything that was gonna happen from birth. He was called from birth. God had all of this orchestrated. God had all of this planned. Now, Saul didn't know it. He didn't know that God was relentlessly orchestrating all these events in life to get to this one moment, but God knew. God had it all planned. God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew, hey, you know what? Saul, you're going to make some mistakes. You're not going to live the right way, but you know what? Right here, that's where I'm going to step in. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. That's comforting. The fact that no matter what Saul was doing, God was hunting after him. God always had his eye on him. No matter how far away he strayed from God, no matter how far down in the darkness he was, no matter how far in the ditch that he thought he was, God always had his umbrella and eye on him saying, that's my guy. And that is the guy that I'm gonna use for my comeback. He said, that's my dude right there. I, I don't care. That's, that's my guy. I, I know from the very beginning, that's who I want. That's comforting to you and I, or it should be. Because knowing that no matter how far we stray on a daily basis from God, he's got his eye on us. Now, that's not to say that, oh, God's going to watch after us. Let's just go live however we want to. Of course, it doesn't work like that. But what I'm saying is is that God always has his eye on you, and God always wants what's best for you, even though you might not want want what's best for you at the time. God does, and God knows what's best for you. God knew that what Saul was about to do in Damascus was not good. God knew, all right, this is the time when I step in, and God's going to do the same thing for you. God has his eye on you from birth. That's comforting to know that, again, even though no matter what you think you're doing, no matter how awful you think you are, no matter how deep in stuff you are, God's there. God's there with you. And God will bring you through that. And sometimes God will step in and say, all right, Jackson, it's time. Let's go. Let's get it, right? All of it was planned. And he's doing the same thing for us. So what was God planning exactly? Um, Let's look. Uh, Let's look in verse, uh, I think it's 18 is where it starts. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So after he became um, a Christian, after God interrupted his life and he became Paul, um, he kind of went off into seclusion. He kind of went off to study, pray, that sort of thing, understand what he was doing. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. Um, So he's meeting other prophets, other people um, of the gospel and things like that to learn. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, I assure you before God that, I am, what, that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cecilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. This is huge. The only, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. That's huge. I want to stay in 23 and 24 right there about a radical change. Talk about a 180, right? Talk about a huge improvement from one point to the other. Saul was murdering Christians and now he's going in and he's seeking out churches to go in and disciple and make new Christians and say, hey, this is what Christianity is supposed to be like. What a radical transformation that is from somebody who wanted nothing to do with God three years earlier. That's huge, guys. That's huge. And here's why I want to focus on verses, um, let's, uh, let's do 22, I think, if we can start there. Maybe. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So he wasn't known as a a disciple or an apostle or anything like that, right? Because he was busy killing people. So the churches didn't really know him to be one of the people who usually go around and you know disciple churches and things like that. Except in verse 23, they only heard the report about him. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. Here's the great thing about God. He uses the junk that you were in to make you an even better witness for him. In verse 24, it says, they praised God because of me. The stuff that he was doing before, God used that for his radical transformation to then witness to people. Because here's the deal, and here's what I know. The worse you are before you become to know Christ... The greater your comeback story is. The greater your comeback story is, and the greater you can use that to connect and witness to other people. The darker you are and the darker your life is, that's just more opportunity for God's light to shine through and illuminate that darkness. But yet, sometimes we think the opposite. Sometimes we think that our darkness over here is, is so much that, that God's light can't possibly penetrate through it, it can't illuminate, it's too dark. that's not true it just means that God's light will shine brighter through that and that's huge there are three key points that I want to kind of pick out here um, as we sort of begin to kind of slow down and wrap up real quick Um, the first one that I want to share is that salvation comes straight from God we saw that in, in Paul's life God stopped him where he was and said look now is the time it starts right here what, and there's nothing you or I can do to earn God's salvation. It comes from him alone. And that's it. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter the things we do. It doesn't matter how often we come to church. It doesn't matter, you know, how often you serve. It doesn't matter how much money you give. None of, none of that junk matters. You can't earn God's salvation. It can only come from him and him alone. The good news is he gives it away for free, which is awesome. But you have to put your faith and trust in him. And that's where it comes from. See, here's what a lot of us don't talk about in in this verse, in this, this story of Paul. Is yeah, God stopped Saul at the time where he was. But the transformation happened inside of his heart. Because even though God stopped him, Saul still could have rejected God. But he didn't. There was this radical transformation in his heart. And that's the only way that your comeback can begin to happen is it's got to come from the heart. That's the only way your comeback can start turning around and saying, you know what? I was going one way. I need to go the other. It starts in your heart, and it starts with the free gift of salvation that God gives you. But you have to accept that first. So sitting here and saying, you know what? My comeback is going to start with me, you know, coming to church more. And that's great. I want you to come to church. I do. But that's not going to save you. You may say your comeback is going to start, well, I haven't tithed, so maybe that's why my finances are bad. So, so I'm going to tithe, and then, you know, then I'll eventually make it to heaven. That's not how it works either. Don't get me wrong, just like Pastor Frank mentioned, that's good. And the, the, the tithing is, is our, putting our faith and trust in God, and you need to put your faith and trust in God. But that means not just with your finances, that's with your life too. your comeback starts with putting your total faith and heart and total abandon to God and raise your hands and say, God, yes, you are my savior. Help me right now overcome what I'm going through. And that's what Paul did. It comes straight from God. The second thing I want to point out is that the worst sinners often make the best saints. The worst sinners often make the best saints. Now, don't get, don't, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that every sinner is going to become a saint because unfortunately it doesn't happen like that. You know, we, we have God gives us free will to choose, you know, what we believe in things like that. Not every sinner will eventually come to know God. But what I do know and what I've seen in my own life and the people that, that I've been with and talked to and things like that, and we even see it from this story here, is that sometimes the people who have like the worst stuff that happened to them in the first part of their life end up becoming some of the greatest witnesses for God. Now, again, that's not to say that, you know, if you grew up in, a, a, in, in church and you were with a godly family and you were saved at a young age and you've always done, you know, always been in church and always done the church thing. Now, that's not saying God can't use you because obviously he will. And that's great, too. We need people like that. But at the same time, we also need people who have those sinner stories that come from one, like from one side to the other, right? The body of Christ is filled with a bunch of different types of people, and it makes, like, that's how the church functions. The worst sinners often make the best saints. One of the things that I heard um, a while ago um, that I learned when I was growing up was they told they, they told me a quote, and I don't remember who told me now. It was probably a youth pastor at the time. Um, he said that God doesn't recruit heroes, and I said, kind of looked at him. I was like, what? I don't get it. He's like, look, he's challenged me. He said, look through the Bible and tell me the types of people, the majority of people that God called to ministry or called to do stuff for him. It wasn't the most noble people. It wasn't the strongest warrior. It wasn't the richest people. It wasn't the most popular person. It wasn't anybody like that. It was fishermen. It was farmers. It was shepherds. It was normal, ordinary people that God called. See, what God does is he has this unique ability to take something super ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary, right? He takes people like you and I, who just us, we can't do anything on our own. He takes people like us to turn our lives around and become the greatest witnesses. He doesn't want the most popular person. He doesn't want the most perfect person. He wants broken people like you and I. He wants people who have struggled like you and I. Because again, what that shows is it shows transformation. It shows how awesome God's power is to turn us from that into what we become today in him. And then, lastly, the last thing I want to point out, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we just talked about. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one sitting in here right now, no one listening to this, whether it's you're listening to this online, you know, three years from now, whatever that looks like. I want you to know nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. Look at Paul, look at what he did before. You know, Paul's story actually shows up, like I talked about, in the New Testament three times. Why would it show up three times in three different books, three different versions? Because of how important of an example it sets for you and I to show, look, no one, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Everybody can be saved. All you have to do is understand you're broken. All you have to do is understand how miserably awful we are without God. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And as I sort of close, here's, here's what I want you to, to get. If you haven't listened to anything else I've, I've said, just listen to this. Just, just hang with me these last five minutes because this is the most important thing. Nobody ever believed that Saul would become what he was going to become. If you, were to ask, if you were to ask people who knew Saul, even maybe five minutes before God stopped him on that road to Damascus and said, hey, he's going to become a Christian in like an hour, they would have been like, good one. They would have had no clue. It happens quick. And God can do amazing things if we let him. So maybe there is a family member or a friend or a loved one, or whatever that looks like that you've been praying for for a while who just looks like they're too far gone, who just looks like they're jumping off the deep end and they're drowning, and you keep praying and you keep praying for them, and it almost seems like when you pray, you know, the prayers just bounce off the ceiling and bounce back down, and you're like, God, are you even listening? It's like, God, come on now. You know how awful this person is. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope on God. God. He's listening. I promise he is. And better yet, not only don't give up on God, don't give up on that person. You know, whether it, like I said, whether it's a family member who you, you've been trying to put your faith in for years, you said, you know what, I'm going to help you this time because hopefully you'll get on your feet. You know what, I'm going to help you again because I just, I know it's coming. I know change is coming. And then they screw something up again and you're like, oh, when are you ever going to get your life together? don't give up hope on that person because they are not too far gone for God to save them. Keep praying for those people. Keep praying for family and friends and loved ones who need God. And also, maybe you're one of those people, right? Maybe you're the person who's over here continuously getting bailed out by your family, Maybe you're the person that's over here who just can't seem to get their life together, who struggles, gets better, relapses, struggles again, whatever that looks like, addiction, whatever. You insert blank here of what what you struggle with. And if you're that person, maybe you think that, you know, God can't love me. God, he, he doesn't want me. I can't seem to get my life together. I can't seem to get it right. Just when I think I've got it figured out, I, just, I ruin everything again. Don't give up hope on yourself and don't give up hope on God. The last thing you need to do is say God doesn't want me and just, just, just do your own thing. I promise you God will save you and I promise you God can save you. You just have to let him in. That's not to say that he's just going to come in right where you're at and just say, all right, you're saved now. That's great. Let's start this over. No, you have to believe. You have to truly accept what God wants. But if you're honest with him and you're honest with yourself and you actually want your comeback story to start right now, it can happen. It can happen. This can be your Saul to Paul moment. We don't have to change your name or anything. I guess you could if you wanted. But this could be your moment. Don't let this day pass you by and you walk out that door without turning that 180 and say, My comeback starts right now. My fourth quarter of this game is right now. Don't let this moment pass you by.